conversations to give insight into human behavior and promote mental health wellness. I'm Dr. Kyle Osborne, and with my co-host, Dr. Jason Coleman, we'll discuss health topics, everyday life issues, and try to give you a better understanding of yourself, other people, and the world around you. So just sit back, relax, and hopefully you'll leave with some information that'll have you living your best healthy life. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome once again, as if we never left. It's the Black Psychologist Podcast, also known as the eighth wonder of the world. We are here for your listening and viewing pleasures. Special acknowledgement to everyone watching on YouTube and listening on Spotify, Pandora, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all of them, all all the platforms. We absolutely appreciate it because you could be anywhere in the world, but you're here with us and we appreciate that. I am one half of and humble, gracious host, Dr. Kyle Osborne. He is I and I am him. And of course, all of you who have been on this voyage with us no i'm never here by myself i'm here with the one the only the man the myth the legend relax your mind let your conscience be free you're now rolling with the best clinician dr jason c how are you this <laughs> good evening brother how are you i'm good man feeling good it's cold outside but you know i'm feeling good man just um it's good to be back um and of course you know just want to Thank everybody who listened to the last episode, um, everybody who commented, liked the episode, and everybody who's hanging with us. So we just appreciate it, you know, trying to start the new year off right. Absolutely. We are definitely going to have Dr. Poole back with us. We do appreciate all the love, all the feedback. Um, So it was great that she was able to bless us with her appearance. Uh, But we are definitely get back to having her and we it'll be a live episode so everybody can be uh, can interact. You can can comment all the all the good stuff. So we will let you know when that's taking place. Uh, It's always you know, it's always live when when Dr. Poole, you know, touches down and, you know, blesses us with a presence. So it is what it is. Of course, we got to have her back on. Absolutely. Uh, Speaking of live, man, you know what else is live? Feeling good and looking good, and the best way for you to look good is uh, what's the what's that what's that fly dope website? Uh, shopmentalhealthclothing.com. Is that what it is? Yeah, tell us a little bit more about that, Jay. No, I mean, listen, man, I appreciate everybody who supported the website. Um, again, you know, I got some things going to try to change. Probably not in time for Valentine's Day, but you know, oh. definitely in the next month or two, gonna have some new things trying to you know debut. So, of course, I'll have it probably put it on on the show first but i just want to thank everybody who has supported you know and you know you can still take a look shop mentalhealthclothing.com um you know grab something or you know just take a look we appreciate it there you go guys y'all heard it there first you know valentine day special closing just for your lady or (laughs) your male partner friend there you go. Dr. J's got you covered. Listen, not only can you look good, you got to feel good. And listen, man, it's going to be right on top of Valentine's Day. So go ahead to it at the shop, mentalhealthclothing.com. There you go. Speaking of closing, uh, I also want to let people know of another venture that I'm engaging in. Um, my partner and I just recently or last year, late last year, uh, developed and started a nonprofit Um 
foundation and it's called Cami's Closet Community Closing Project. I got the, per, you know, the uh, the fit on right oh, now. Oh, man, I like and that. Man. That is. All right. So pretty much what the foundation and charity is about is, um, like I said, it's a nonprofit and we're going to be providing free, essential, brand new clothing to those that are in homeless shelters, that are in transition housing and other different similar situations um, to our homeless population or for anybody that's been experiencing financial um, strengths. So um, okay. we're going to be doing our inaugural first closing drop off within the next few days at one of the uh, Philadelphia or local homeless shelters uh, that's going to be like in the North Philadelphia section of Philadelphia. So more information about that, but we are absolutely excited. And uh, for those of you that want to help because it's we're helping the community with the help of the community. So we absolutely on our uh, on our websites and on our social media, camiescloset.org is going to be up and live and running within the next few hours, literally. Um, by the time this goes live, absolutely check it out. It's um, just give you some information about myself, about the program, about my partner, um, also about how you can donate. So, you know, we have a PayPal donation link and donation page for, you know, if you want to donate a dollar, that's cool. If you want to donate $5, that's cool. $50, whatever the situation is. Um, it's all going towards us purchasing brand new clothing for those that are in need. Um, this is something that we've been working on for the better part of last year. And it's finally, everything's coming to fruition. We got all the paperwork, all the IRS tax documents, all blah, 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 everything. It's all official. And so we're excited about being able to help those that are less fortunate or those that are experiencing, you know, transitional periods in their life and financial constraints because it's uh, been tough for a lot of us. So more information on that. Absolutely. Cami's Closet Community Clothing Project right there. Boom. All right. Can't Make wait, man. Make sure so, you shout that website out again. For it so absolutely. Absolutely. You know, so uh, something we're definitely excited about. All, All right. right. Let, it, let us hear the website again. Where can they Oh, you want camiescloset.org. So that's K-A-M-I-S closet, C-O-L-S-E-T dot org. That's the website. Also, we have the Cami's uh, Community Closet on IG, on Facebook. Again, everything's going to be live. Um, the right. donation link is going to be there. So, uh, you you know, for those of you that are I'm, I'm connected with, you guys will absolutely be seeing me posting more about it um, in the next coming days. So but we're excited about it and appreciate everybody that's already started to donate and future donations and um, future donors. So we appreciate it. You know, that's, that's how we do Congrats. Congrats. Congratulations, yeah, thank bro. you. Thank you. Good brother. Thank you. Um, you mentioned January, Jay. It's absolutely we are in the dog days of January already. And. Great. The thing about January is that a lot of people um, are already in days into this dry January. All right. And for those of you that are unfamiliar with what dry January is, it's a month long sobriety challenge that has become somewhat of an annual tradition for some people. And so the concept behind dry January is that it's, uh, you know, with all the merriment of the holidays behind us and now we're in, you know, a new year beginning. The consumption of alcohol is reined in for a month of sobriety. All right. So that's what's taking place. It's dry January, no alcoholic beverages for the whole month. Um, for me, I think it's important because let me preface this also. Like I I like this idea. I like the, the concept of it um, and I'll absolutely get into why. But I think it's also important just for us also to kind of discuss just like the backdrop or the background, like just surrounding the whole alcohol aspect, especially in our culture, right? So if you look at it, 
even if the language that we use to talk about or not drinking, I think speaks like just to the normalcy of alcohol in our culture. Right. Right. It's like terms like dry January infers that the consumption of alcohol is normal, like and to abstain isn't normal. It's a situation where it's like like alcohol is like the only sociable, only social acceptable drug that it's like we're allowed to have in our homes. Right. You have it at social events. You can have it at fundraisers. Right. Without a second thought. Right. And it's also usually like it's the most likely what contributes to alcohol use disorder being the most com- common substance use disorder in the country. I mean, if right. you think about it, right, you you can find alcohol in every place, Jay, like and even in unexpected places, all kinds of it, like from hard seltzer, you got hard coffee, you got hard ice cream now, right? Like you can go to the market and <laughs> literally get hard ice cream. Like that, that's how much it's infused into our culture. And right. we saw the impact that even that COVID had on alcohol consumption. Like, right. We talked about it, of, uh, you know, r- right in the beginning when we first started the podcast. Um, I remember there was one study that said, um, I think it was the New York Times, that said they found that adults had increased their drinking like 300% during the first year of, of the pandemic alone. So, you know, um, again, I'm a supporter of it. I'm not arguing against dry January in any form or fashion. Um, but for me, I'm kind of more arguing more for like the awareness and the like the intention about like of this abstinence all around, right? So you have dry January, which is good. However, at the same time, I think it's important that you maintain that abstinence or at least kind of that that kind of idea all year round. Like there was a um, a national survey, uh, 2022 national survey that suggested as many as 35% of American um, adults of legal age that gave up drinking last January. And there was a health columnist that from the Washington Post that reported that they saw some tangible benefits, some tangible benefits of not drinking for a month. And that included everything from saving more money having more energy, sleeping better, losing weight, better concentration, and even better skin. So imagine if you had that same intention and conviction to not drinking or limiting your alcohol intake all year round, right? So that's just kind of like my, you know, rant, I guess you want to say, but that's just kind of my idea and kind of attitude towards it that I wish this they had the same intensity or awareness all throughout the year. I mean, listen, obviously this is a voluntary thing. So, um, because, you know, we don't want to, you know, make, there's a lot of people who consume alcohol responsibly and listen, they want to have a glass of wine every night responsibly, you know, that's their business. I mean, you know, so this is a, something that could benefit a lot of people, but obviously it's voluntary, but, your point is well taken in terms of if we look at the culture overall, we look at just certain environments, right? Like sports events, games, you go to a club. These are environments where people really expect you to drink readily, right? If, you, if you're if you the person that's not drinking at a tailgate, people are more likely to kind of squint their eyes at you and look at you kind of crazy. If you're like, even if you're like, yeah, I'm just here for the game. Yeah. They might look at you crazy, right? True right, um, fix. If you come to a club and say, yo, I'm just here for the music. I like to dance. Even though we all have friends and family members 
who are that person and we it's not like we exclude them but they're not the first person that you think about when you're going out to celebrate something probably unless it's your brother or sister or something right but my but you know the point i'm trying to make in terms of the culture so this was a new idea for me like i had never heard of it in terms of dry january um but i think it could be beneficial right and we just got to kind of look like a lot of us in different areas of our lives do different types of like fasting you know some people do lent you know some people just fast right um some people do different types of diets where they cut alcohol out um, and they see all of those benefits. So, again, I just think it's one of these things where, especially when we're talking about coming after New Year's Eve, which is one probably one of the more heavier kind of drinking days of the year. You know, I mean, I don't see, <laughs> you know, how it, how it could not be beneficial. Um, but my thing, I, I think my focus would be on how to kind of maintain success with doing something like this. Um, so I think one of the better things to do would be to kind of focus on the benefits, like you said, in terms of saving money, maybe losing weight, maybe the health benefits, blood pressure, those things, um, and then kind of do it as a group, right? So you might want to do some Instagram challenge, Facebook, you know, um, and you and you want to make it something that everybody's kind of doing, um, you know, and that, that way it's a good thing. Um, and the only reason why I say that is because, you know, we, in the same article, Again, I, I don't know what study they were citing, but they were saying 54% of people were saying that they wanted to reduce their drinking, right? So obviously it's something that a lot of people, maybe half of the re- respondents in this survey try- had tried and failed and not tried at all, but they wanted to, you know? Um, so it could be a good thing, you know? Yeah, like I, you, like you, you said something really important there where, like you said, it's happening at the right at the top of the year, right? It's after New Year's. So if you're looking at it, it's like pe- most people double their alcohol consumption between Thanksgiving and New Year's, right? Because you got Thanksgiving, right. you got Christmas, you got other different gatherings, you got Friendsgiving, all these other different gathering associated, you know, um, situations that are popping up, family, friends, everybody's coming in. And like you said, alcohol is typically involved. So I, I look at it like and view it similar to like a cleanse or like a detox after, after a real heavy drinking period. Um, that's where dry January lands. Right. And the, the the component also, I think, that works for it is like you mentioned the group thing, right? Because they got memes. They have all types of things on social media that are associated with dry January. And I think also an important uh, ingredient you just mentioned and that in that survey or the study was 54% want to, right? So that right. that infers that all right, there's been some people want to, but they've been maybe unsuccessful. And that's mm-hmm. where I feel like the concept works for the reason that I mean it's essentially it's a it's a short-term goal, right? You're saying January, dry January. So you have a short-term goal, and we know that research has consistently shown that. When you set short-term goals, it lends to a higher rate of success than long-term goals. Right. Like psychologically, it feels much more achievable to say, "Well, I'm not going to drink for 30 days," as opposed to say, "Like I'm going to commit to giving it up completely." Mm-hmm. A lot more easier, more feasible of a goal. Like again, it's a short-term goal, so it's like harm reduction. It's like it's you're setting like 
a short-term goal of abstinence and then like it's replaced by long-term harm reduction hopefully if you're able like you said to maintain it because you're like oh if i did 30 days all right cool then i can just cut back on like throughout the rest of the year out the week and such. so you hope that yeah. that's the goal you know what i mean that, that's why i kind of said when i looked at this thing just kind of looking at focusing on what kind of behaviors might p- make people successful that's why i said kind of focus on the benefits right yeah. short-term benefit that you will immediately see is m- more money in your pocket. A short-term benefit that you'll immediately immediately see might be more sleep, better, more energy, blood pressure, you know, diff- differences in terms of <clears throat> maybe your blood pressure, right? Or things like that. Um, so that's why I was talking about, you know, and focus on the group support, maybe through Instagram, Facebook, or in person or whatever. Um, so, you know, I can't necessarily say that it's a bad thing, um, but like, you know, you were saying, it's kind of like, I think it's something that people came up with as a result of kind of the social climate that we see. So, Yeah, so we'll see. Hopefully more people will lean towards uh, maintaining this attitude and harm reduction aspect, as opposed to the people who are going to be like, all right, it's February. Let me raise a glass and drink even heavier. Right. <laughs> you hope you hope it's the former as opposed to the latter. So right. Um, but we'll see. I mean, they said that a lot of people are um the the rates and it's becoming more increasingly popular. So uh we'll see. Um uh, speaking yeah. of the social aspect of it, last fall, thousands of pages of internal documents showed troubling signs that social media giants knew that their platforms could be or were negatively impacting youth, right? And we're doing very little to effectively change it. So with around about 21 million adolescents on social media, a lot of parents took note of these internal documents that were revealed and some decided to take action. So CBS News recently reported that there are more than 1,200 families that are pursuing lawsuits against social media companies, including TikTok, Snapchat, YouTube, Roblox and Meta, which is the parent company to Instagram and Facebook. So there are more than 150 lawsuits that will be moving forward next year. And some of the parents stated in their uh, in their their documents that the social media posts impacted their kids mental health and in some case helped contribute or lead to the death of their children. And so I wanted to highlight um, one of the the families in the article that we are uh, we're, we're speaking from, and I wanted to kind of highlight because there are a couple of different dynamics and things that that came across for me. So in this, um, I'm just going to read some excerpts. So you have this family; they bought their 11 uh, year old a cell phone, and they said that they had put strict rules on the phone the moment she had it. Right, she was never allowed in her room at night. They would keep the phone in the hall. Uh, mm-hmm. They checked the phone. They put restrictions on the phone. And so the daughter came around and said, well, I just waited for my parents to fall asleep. Right. Like I would sit in the hallway or I would sneak my phone in the room. Um, They had a lot of the parent controls on. And she said it was pretty quick for her to figure out a way around the restrictions. Right. Yeah. She was hoping to connect and keep up with her friends. So she joined Instagram, even though she's 11 years old and the Instagram policy mandates users to be 13 years old. She was able to check the boxes and just kind of kept going. No real verification or anything of that nature. Um, 
And she said even when her parents would see the phone, they wouldn't see the Instagram app on there. She said that she was able to use other apps so that she could use it to disguise the app. So like she would download the calculator and it would say calculator, but it was really the Instagram. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So she said by the time she was 12. Now, mind you, she got the phone and got on Instagram when she was 11. She said by the time she was 12, she had developed an eating disorder. She had multiple Instagram accounts. And she said she would spend five hours a day scrolling through the app, even though it made her feel depressed. She said she was struggling with her mental health. She was struggling with her depression and her body image. And social media did not help her confidence. And if anything, she said it made her uh, made her hate herself. All right. So I highlighted that just for a couple of different reasons. The first is that. Let's call it what it is, right? Let's call it spade a spade. These companies intentionally design a product that's addictive. That's the whole point, right? We know that. They understood that whether, you know, they understood that people, children included, would stay online. And the longer you stay online, the more money you're going to make, right? It doesn't matter really how harmful the material is. It's just whatever it takes to keep that person on there. So, yeah, absolutely. There is some responsibility and culpability in the fact that, that these kids ended up seeing things that they saw was disturbing it, but it wasn't by accident, right? It was by design. It's not a coincidence. So yes, there's an aspect of a lot of people argue, oh, well, the parents are supposed to be monitoring the kid and so on and so forth. And yeah, okay, to a certain extent, that's true. At the same time, kids are resourceful, right? Kids will find a way to circumvent, you know, the the parent control, the restriction, they'll find the phone, whatever the case may be. So kids are kids are, are, are smart. They're creative. They're resourceful. Now, at that point, there's, again, the responsibility on the companies where it's like, OK, you know, you're putting this product out. And if you get information that like, hey, like. This is harmful to a certain population of of people. We're talking about children in this case. Then not. Nah, I mean, they, you have to take some measures to increase some aspect or some layer of of protection or some type of way to be able to safeguard um that's just kind of my initial thought like there's right you can't do it 100 but there's you have some responsibility to do so especially if you're getting information and like your quality control and your data analysts like oh yeah like this this folk if this is affecting a certain group of people that it shouldn't be what are you going to do about it i mean listen first of all this is terrible right because we're talking about <clears throat> You know, I just want to be sensitive to the fact that we're talking about like 11, 12 year olds, even teenagers and like major mental health disorders. So we're talking about like anxiety, depression, you know, body image issues. Um, And we know what, you know, kind of some of the more extreme symptoms of depression include like suicidal ideation and all of this. So we have to recognize the seriousness of that. Right. Mm-hmm. With that being said. You know, I we're talking about this individually, right? I don't know like where to blame if there's any blame or culpability. Like, I don't know where it is to be laid because are we talking about the technology super, or are we talking about supervision? Are we talking about accessibility, right? Is the problem the technology? So meaning like, 
I'm sure during the lawsuit, they're going to frame it as Instagram and Facebook is the big ugly monster, right? Or Snapchat or whoever it is, right? But if we take them away, the same kids can go on Google and be exposed to the same things they were seeing on Instagram, right? So is it the technology or is it supervision? Is it mom and dad not checking enough? Or is accessibility the fact that mom and dad can take away the technology, not let them use any of it in in the home, supervise them all day, and they can go to school, pick up one of their kid, their friend's phones, make another Instagram account, check the boxes, and they're on Instagram for seven hours when they're in school. So part of it is just is is like where those things intersect and where to place the blame. It's, you know, it's a very difficult discussion. And then I think with this case, it gets even more layered because you have an 11 year old and a 12 uh, who's who ends up being 11 and 12 years old. Right. Bypassing the supervision of her parents. Right. And. Again, I'm not saying that she she's not doing she's not doing what hundreds of thousands of kids probably do. Right. But checking the box saying she's 13. When she's not right, so so, you know what the company's gonna say? The company's gonna say that's the safeguard right there. <laughs> you you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I mean we go on our phone every day, and if you go to JackDaniels.com or Bally's.com, whatever, it's gonna say, "Are you 21?" You know what I mean? But that's the safeguard, right? So. Um, I do think that the results of this case may change how we view social media and the impact on younger kids, especially. Um, But I think there's a lot of things to look at, right? Is it supervision? Is it technology? Is it accessibility? Right. And then how much percentage do we want to lay at at everybody's feet? You know, Um, so it's going to be a hard. Well, I I mean, I'm not a lawyer. I don't even want to play one, but. Um, with these type of cases, I think it's going to be very difficult to to, to kind of lay the blame on somebody, you know? I, I I view it as, like, we have to be realistic. There's, and not to speak in absolute terms. However, you're never going to have a social media platform be 100% safe, right? Right. Like you said, kids are highly intelligent. They're resourceful. Uh, and clearly, like we just discussed in, in the example um, they can circumvent the restrictions the parents put in place and all the other different things. At the same time, if you're a company that has these, I mean, a surplus of resources, if you're getting information, okay, like this is taking place. Like we, hey, we have the data, algorithms, so on and so forth, that's saying this percentage of kids, it's affecting them, especially regarding the mental health aspect of it. Mm-hmm. There's the technology. There's an opportunity that I feel like, again, it can't be 100 percent, but you can make some advances in technology in addition to the verification process. Right. Like that technology does exist. Like I'm pretty sure like like on Tinder and not that I've been on Tinder. All right. And we don't want to start. that. All right. There are people like if you're trying to hook up on Tinder, there's technology, I believe, that makes sure that the people who are that they are who they say they are. Right. There's yo, a certain there are certain things. That's a, that's me, what I hear, Jay. That's I don't I don't yo, know. And this is what I'm trying to explain to you. <laughs> I don't, what I'm trying to explain to you is you heard wrong. I'm not saying what you're <laughs> talking about doesn't exist, right? But this is what I'm saying, not to cut you off. All right. It's the equivalent 
what you're talking about exists, that verification. Yeah. But it's the equivalent of a blue check on Twitter, meaning okay. maybe maybe 15, 10% of the people on there have that because they're going to pay for that. Okay. The, most of the people that are on there using it every day probably don't have it. Ah, all right. but, 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 but this is my question to you, and I'm not right. even saying it. I'm just trying to offer another perspective. Are you, are you speaking from personal experience? Right now, no. Yeah. Are you talking about with the with the dating app thing? Yeah, with the Tinder. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah, I've been on that before. Yeah, of course I've been on that. I'm a I'm a normal person, not now, but yeah, I've been on that. (laughs) But what we was talking about before, it's kind of impossible though, bro. Because in my opinion, because right now, like I said, how can we hold Instagram to a higher standard than we hold Jack Daniels to? Meaning like, yo, the same kid that's 11 years old, if they know how to pick a birthday that's in the 80s, they can go on Jack Daniels website. Mm. Right. So they can pick up a tablet and make an Instagram account. Is that Jack Daniels fault? No. Right. Because if we being honest. They're not supposed to be on there. They're not supposed to be on there. Mm. Right. So we have a problem from the beginning. Right. Because. Is it accessed? Right? Because 11 or 12-year-old, if you ask me, it's inappropriate for them to have Instagram. For what? I agree. Like, I'm now, now, if they want to have a, if their parents set up an Instagram, like, because now, again, I got nieces and nephews. They might have something. They might be a cheerleader. And their parents might want to set something up with them and their cheer team. And they're monitoring it. And. You understand? But right. that's not unrestricted use of Instagram. But when you open that door, you understand, then we start talking about accessibility. When you put the phone down, can the kid access it from somewhere else? Right? Can the kid access it from somewhere else? Right? Oh, totally. So, yeah. So so that's where all these other things come into play, bro. So I, am I saying what these parents are saying in a lawsuit isn't a real thing? It's absolutely a real thing. Right? But where do we lay, can we can we lay the burden of like social media and all of those pressures and some of which are new to us on at the feet at one of one single company? Like, you know what I mean? Just because be, be, just because you happen to be more familiar with Facebook, you know, in somebody else's home, they may say, well, no, 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 it's not Facebook, it's Snapchat, you know. Um, somebody else may say, you know, it's Google because their kid is looking up some harmful information. Why isn't that blocked? How did they get access to this? Right. Um, how many times do we see that when people commit crimes? And I'm not going to go into certain things specifically, but use your imagination. But, but people will be like, how did they get this information to know how to make that or do that? So, right. And it's right out there. So, so that's another question that I have, right? In regards to, I think there's a difference between someone seeking out that content. And my question is, and again, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm not an IT person um, and so mm-hmm. well versed, but my question is, what about the algorithms, right? So the algorithms a lot of times drive the content to the users. So I feel like outside of you or an individual looking for certain content, there's no reason why I feel, and I could be wrong, but there's no reason why I feel like if you're 12 or 11 years old and you're interested in exercise, that you should be getting a pop-up 
that directs you to anorexic con, you know, content, right? So that's my, and I don't know if that can be adjusted with the algorithm. I don't know, right? Because I'm, I'm not. But, but I go back to the original point. If you're 12 or 11 years old, you shouldn't be on Instagram. For what? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, and again, that's why it says, "Are you 13?" Right? Because it's not appropriate for you, right? But so. The first, and again, I'm not a lawyer, but the first question that's going to have to be settled in in this case that we're just talking about, right, is how does an 11 or 12 year old have access to this form of technology that's supposed to be for 13 and up, right? How does she have access for this long, right? Um, And is it an issue of this being too accessible or or, or not adequate supervision? And they're gonna bat, they're gonna brawl over oh, that. Oh, yeah, that, they're gonna fight. That's they're, gonna, they're gonna be brawl, yeah. they're gonna that's, brawl that's over a, that. Yeah. That's gonna be the point of argument. Yeah. You you understand what I'm saying? Because and that and that's gonna be the 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 kind of foundation of the argument for a lot of things in our new world, right? Our kids are exposed to a lot, right? Um, so does the problem start when you hand them a smartphone? Right. Because you may I listen, I know parents that thought they were blocking stuff and then, mm. OK, they block the phone and then they buy their kid an Xbox and give them access so that they can talk to their friends. Right. And play online. And they don't know what they can, they don't know the the capabilities of that Xbox. Right. Which sometimes I won't say it's greater than the phone, but, you know, it's the same type of stuff that they can do. Right. So. Don't know the answer, bro. Nah, it's tough. It's gonna be uh one of those things that's gonna be a point of con- contention. The argument is gonna be is it like you said, the accessibility or is it parental control? And of course the parents are gonna be like, no, nah, you know, the because you're providing the content, your platform is providing the content, they're gonna want the companies to have some responsibility. And I, I think to a certain extent, yeah, a certain percentage is because for the reason that technology is continuing to advance. And I'm sure there's some things that they could do to make it less hard. Cause I think that's the goal is to make it as difficult as possible to keep that content from getting there. But again, the kids are resourceful. So right. it's, it's going to be an ongoing thing. It's going to absolutely, you know? So, so, cause this is what I wanted to know. Right. Um, so do they have, do they have Instagram kids for kids? I don't know, but I mean, I imagine that would be intuitive for somebody to come up with and develop. So I might have to look into that. I don't know. I was just I mean, looking to see if they had just like, you know how they got Netflix for the kids. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Um, I don't know, but mm. we'll see. Not a bad thought. So on the topic of social media and dating apps and things of that nature. Right. In 2022, 50% of singles said that they would have been happier over the last year if they had been in a relationship, which is an increase from 2021, where 35% had said had the same response. All right. Okay. So if you have been swiping, or if again it's January, right? It's January, it's it's uh you know, it's cuffing season. It's been cuffing season. People want relationships. They want to snuggle up on something warm. 
You know, we had that conversation with Dr. <laughs> Poole and we get like we said at the beginning of this episode, she will be back soon. All right. However, in the meantime, we're going to hold it down. All right. We hear the love doctors, as we have been called by our adoring fans, are here no. to highlight. OK. That if you want to get yourself in a relationship. There are some red flags that have been popping up on some of these uh, on these websites, on these dating apps. Right. So if you've been swiping the dating app recently, you maybe have noticed that some of the bios of your potential matches are littered with the red flag emoji. And so this year was one of the most frequently used emojis that were in some of the Tinder um, bios. And so what the red flags uh, personify is that they're pretty specific to the person of uh, things that they don't like and that they do like. All right. But again, we as the love doctors, okay, we're going to help you out because some of these flags could thwart your attempt at being in a long term relationship. So we're going to go over four of these behaviors that red flags on the first date that could get you or disable you, I should say, from being cuffed up this season. All right. So the first one. All right, Jay, is getting drunk on the first date. All right. Three in four singles don't want to get drinks on the first date, according to the hinge data. And instead of those surveyed, 45% said they prefer sober dates because they're prioritizing their mental health. And 55% said it helps them get to know the person better. What do you say to this? What do you think about getting drunk on the first date? Um, I say no, but I'm gonna wait, I'm gonna wait till you list them and then I'll comment. But I'm right, okay. I'm I'm, I, I I say it's a bad idea. Bad general, idea. I, All right, cool. We're gonna go right. back to that one first. All right. Being too into Instagram. So those that are too into Instagram or Snapchat come off as self-absorbed. All right. They said okay. that's why 74% said they don't want to date someone who is constantly using social networking apps. All right. Okay. Third one not knowing about politics or social issues. So we talked a little bit about this and during the intro of our last episode of like, that's one of the deal breakers, right? In addition to now, um, these new deal breakers as far as being in therapy, but yeah, <laughs> not knowing about politics or social issues. It said uh, a whopping 75% of singles were looking for a match who respected or were invested in social issues. And almost about half at 47% of singles said that finding out a person that they dated was a non-voter is a deal breaker. Okay. All right. And numero four, bringing up trauma. A vast majority, 93% of Hinge users prefer to date someone who is emotionally vulnerable. Um, and they said that they care more about that than height or income. Okay. There you go. All right. So that those those are the four. So what do you think about getting getting drunk on the first? Right. Right. So I think lit? that's interesting, man. So the ones that kind of made the biggest impression on me were the drinking, right? The IG use, and then the politics, right? But I'm gonna talk about the first two because I had a question for you about the last one. Yeah. So that's the one I feel most strongly about, like drinking on the first date. Yeah. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, right? Um, but you definitely don't want to do it to the point of intoxication. Like that's crazy. Number one, um, two, you know, like, I mean, when I was doing that, <clears throat> I think, um, I, I think my limit was like one, even if yeah. I ordered two, it was like one in a, a little bit, you know what I mean? 
um, but not the intention to even finish the second one, only because, you know, you kind of want to be as lucid as possible. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. That's why I think, especially if we're talking about a first date, you know, you most likely won't be at like a concert or something like where you're expected to drink a whole lot of alcohol. Um, uh, but that one, and if we're talking about like horror stories, you know, that's kind of with, with people I know and with, you know, kind of dates I've been a part of, that's where it kind of starts coming apart at the seams, right? Yeah. So if one person gets freaking wasted, right? Um, so what, what's your thought about that one? I believe you should read the room uh, and take cues <laughs> from <laughs> the person you're with. So right. if you're speaking from as a guy, right? And again, I, I just, I'm a little conservative in regards to things. Um, like if you're at a venue, if you're at a restaurant, um, you're someplace where they serve alcohol, I feel like you can offer, right? I believe you should offer and say, hey, did you want something to drink? If they say, like, in saying a drink, you're kind of maybe insinuating it's alcohol, but maybe not at the same time. You're just saying a drink, right? So you can play it off as just any beverage. So if the person you're with, right, when you offer it to them and they're like, oh, no, I'm just going to get this, right? And they say no to that. I feel like you should, that's your cue to match that, right? So clearly, right, yeah. yeah, clearly they're not like, that's not their first choice. So it might not be a drinking date. Right. She does. So you're kind of learning as you go. So you're trying to be observed. So what I would do, just I believe it's read the room, take your cue from the person you're with, even if you're the biggest drinker in the world. Right. 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 Like if you want this to go someplace, it's like, OK, let me take this cue from from this person. And, you know, all right, you are you getting a soft drink? All right, cool. I'm all, I'm also going to get a Pepsi. Right. And then maybe as things go, you go from there. But like you said, that also alleviates you getting lit from like the, from on. I mean, yo, I think um, honestly, like, yo, I think that's 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 the perfect way to approach it. That's yeah. even better than a way how I would have originally approached it with a limit and all that. Uh, I think that's the perfect way to approach it. I would, I would, that's what I would do if I was still out there. That's perfect. Hey, man, For all you single dudes listening to hey. Dr. Kyle, you know, love, love doctor. doctor. Love doctor. Yo, Listen, Jay, when I, when I was in these streets. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Yo, on the second joint, though, um, that's another one, right? Um, it says 74% didn't want people that were too into social media. Yeah. Now it's probably the biggest issue you'll have that people probably say is a turn off. Some people is probably like somebody documenting the whole meal, like taking pictures of everything. And especially if, I mean, I think most people wouldn't even mind if you were taking pictures as long as you were like doing the posting and all that later. You know what I'm saying? If you snapped a picture while y'all was talking, I I mean, who's going to really care if you document in the night, as long as it doesn't, you know, as long as, but if you stop and you're like, all right, I got to put a quote. I got to put some music. I, yeah, right. Um, but if we being honest, like before Instagram was even a thing, looking at your phone during a um, date was always a deal breaker. It was always a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It's always kind of an indication about the, the energy and the connection between the two people. Right. Um, I know when I'm out, that's always one thing I talk about is when you see two people at the table like this. Right. We always assume that they miserable. It's hilarious. Right. Always assume they're miserable. Right. Why? Because honestly, I always kind of, you know, looked at the meal as, you know, I always put my phone on my um, like to my side or put it on my bench or turn it, you know, turn it over. Right. Um, Just because that's 
what the meal is for. Like, you you know, it's time to, you know, you want to kind of just talk and whatever, you know. Um, it, but if you're on a first date and a person is just, you know, um, I think that's a major red flag. <laughs> yeah, it, I <laughs> mean, it, it personifies for me, it personifies inconsideration. Right. Right. It personifies you not being present like you. You're you're preoccupied with other things. Um, Now, here's a little caveat. I'm going to throw this out to you. What if because like we said, Insta- being on social media has become quite quite the norm. What if you're on the first date? Now, you met this person through social media, right? You met this person via, you know, via the gram. And like their their post history is is wild, right? Like they're posting like two three times a day, right? And right. maybe you seeing all their pics, it's like, oh, okay, that's how you were able to kind of either jump into DM or whatever the situation. Now, is it out of the realm being that you found this person or connected with them on Instagram and you saw how heavy they were on there? Is that out of the realm to feel like okay, now that I'm individually with this person like on a first date that they're on their phone but you kind of that's kind of how you were introduced to them well if it's part of listen if it's part of especially if it's part of like their business like some people and yo social media is so much wrapped up in so many things now if somebody's promoting a brand their business if they're instagram model whatever it is if that's how you met them um then they're gonna do their thing you know what i'm saying um Right. But I think that's always those are those are outliers to me, because, again, that's something that where we talk about a pattern that the person has had previously that you was aware of. And that's probably a conversation that you would have in some form with the person. Like yeah. I could see somebody like that, like, yo, especially if you're going to be their person, like, yo, you know, like just letting you know, this is, you know, this is my life. Like this is kind of yeah. what I do. Blah, 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 Brand blah. And butter. Right. Um, so. You know, I get it, you know, but um, like I said, when we're talking about a meal, like how long are we really talking about? Like, who do we know that's really sitting down for two hour long meals? Right. So if you can't really put your phone down for an hour and 20 minutes while you kind of talk and, you know, connect a different way, then, you know, who, who knows? That might be saying something else. I don't know. Yeah. Overall recommendations that it's probably best to keep your phone down at the meal. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, you know. you know, number three, not knowing about politics or social issues. Yo, the only thing that kind of stuck out here with me was the um, 47% that said non voting, they wouldn't date. And I was just because I'm gonna be very honest, like, if we just being personal, like, self disclosure, I, I would agree with that. Like, I couldn't seriously date anybody that didn't vote, right? Mm-hmm. There's a historical con- uh, uh, connotation to that, is you know, um, obviously. Well, not obviously or not obviously, I'm African-American, right? So in terms of historically, you know, what people have went through in terms of the civil rights movement and to try to vote in terms of being killed and put in the ground, you know, I couldn't really, like, date anybody seriously that didn't vote. I probably dated lots of people casually that didn't vote, but I really, you know, they didn't really, just didn't really care. But when we're talking about substance... I agree with that totally, right? Like me as an African American, <clears throat> like that's that's kind of very salient to me, but I could understand, you know, somebody else with a different history that wouldn't care. But you so, know, that's that's just so, me. Uh, so a young lady who responds with uh 
the conspiracy. Man, our vote don't count anyway. Don't matter. That's not going to fly for you. I mean, nah, bro. You know, and I'm going to be very honest. And it, it wouldn't be surprised me for somebody to respond like that, especially in this climate. Yeah. And it would just, I would just move along because I'm not, listen, unfortunately, fortunately or unfortunately, I don't feel the need to educate people anymore on certain things. I, I You just leave them ignorant because it is oftentimes it's a waste of your breath nowadays, you know? Mm-hmm. I think so. this this speaks more to if you're not aware of social issues and politics, I think it gives the impression that you're not, like you said, the substance value, like, right. Or you're, you're not aware. You're not like in, in, not I want to say involved, but you're just not aware of like what's happening in whatever climate in the world, all these other different things as it may pertain to just whatever different uh, specific issue or population or whatever the situation may be. So I feel like it's like, especially given the past four to five years, you know, someone says not voting or if there's a certain social issue that's been like salient, right? Like you said, whether it be COVID, whether it be the Black Lives Matter or whatever the situation may be. And if like someone says, oh, no, I don't know anything about it. It's kind of like, I think it may give the impression of like, all right, well, what what do you what not not what are you into but like where are you like where do you are you you know what's your focus on things so kind but of at the same that, time like, you know I, mean? I, I wouldn't necessarily be surprised there was a lot of people that had those views right and that's fine you know what i'm saying like i said i'm not a crusader out here necessarily trying to change everybody's mind but i stand on my square in terms of that's just what i believe right so um, and and is I believe that for a certain reason, like yo, my grandparents pick cotton in this country. You understand? No, it's like so, you want you want somebody. I, so typically I, to be so informed somewhat, right? Well, I get it, but and I and what you're saying is right. I'm not just trying to be a jerk about it. You do want somebody informed, but you got to remember, like, um, to not be informed is the new kind of wave. <laughs> Right. To not be informed <laughs> and to and, and to kind of like needle people who at least have foundational information or 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 are curious for for factual information. Right. That's mm-hmm. the new wave. Right. Is to not have any information and respond the way you said. Right. Um, well, voting don't matter anyway. So you don't got to vote for your school board, president, governor. The same people going to complain about everything from their seatbelts to the taxes. To the, to the money it takes to go through the tunnel. Right. And all I'm telling you is I recognize the, the the world we live in and the fact that majority of people, not to be condescending, they don't mind being consumers and they, and they don't, you know, and they don't mind being pawns and soldiers, like, like right? Passive participants in a lot of things, right? Where mm-hmm. we are, we are, a lot of us are just complainers, right? That's how we've been conditioned to just be complainers, right? Um, so listen man um certain things you know i you know i gotta stand on my square on so i I don't expect everybody to agree um but 47 percent, i think that's about right you know yeah all right bringing up trauma all right so like you said a vast majority of 93 percent use they prefer someone who is emotionally vulnerable um so for me on this, I feel like, okay, ah, trauma, just the key word. Trauma. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I, I don't know. 
We talking about a first date? First date, right? I oh, I'm, I would recommend, and I've I've gotten this question like more than a few times in this argument. Like I've seen this take place, uh, and people have some strong feelings about this, right? Because I think it, it falls into the category of one extreme of the or or the next, right? They they loop in, all right. Emotionally vulnerable means sharing everything that you've been through or sharing your trauma. Right, right, and right. there's it, that's not the way I don't I don't recommend that being a first a, a topic of on the first date, right? Like you can be emotionally vulnerable and say and be in touch and be aware of you know your thoughts and your emotions without sharing. Yeah, you know, I was sexually assaulted or I grew up, you know, in this neighborhood where I saw 20 people gunned down. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you can you can share that or you can be emotionally vulnerable and express that without getting deep into what your experiences related to trauma are. Right. Like I don't it doesn't have to be one extreme or the or, or the or the other. Um you know, there's a right way to open up and a wrong way to open up. And right. you don't have to. I think there's absolutely a thing of oversharing on the first date. Like you can give people and say, like, hey, I grew up in this and it was difficult. It was this, that, and the third. I'm for me, I don't know if I'm going to be getting deeply into what I experienced and what my traumatic experiences are. But I think you're exactly right, right? We're talking about extremes, right? Because if you're sharing like um, details related to trauma, right? If you're sharing like your mental health diagnoses, right? I think that might be a little bit too much on a first date, right? But emotional vulnerability when it comes to trauma in terms of like, yeah, I had a big, I had a difficult childhood or, you know, things were, you know, I, I grew up in this type of environment that was challenging or kind of dipping your toe in the water, letting a person know, you know, what your background is a little bit. I think that's, you know, kind of appropriate. But again, we're talking about like selective disclosure, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's a good point, right? But you got to be very careful when it comes to that with trauma, right? Because um, you don't know how a person is going to respond, right? Because everybody, I want to say, we're not talking about, everybody is not, ready to appropriately respond to to what you say right so think about it again we're talking about the vulnerability that's involved with a first date right so if you lay something heavy on somebody they may not give you the classic response that you may want right that implies empathy to you mm -hmm. right they, you don't know this person they may be a little bit more internally focused right they may be a little bit more shy they may not be as verbally expressive right First date, you can't touch somebody or give them a hug or, right? So if you lay something real heavy on the table, you know, they might just look at you. Who knows, right? So you're opening yourself up to a lot of things. So that That's why I think the best advice a lot of people would give you, whether it's your therapist or your friend or whatever, would be to kind of try to keep things a little bit more light, you know, on a first date, even though you can kind of selectively talk about goals and, you know, background and all of that. Um, but you want to keep it light, you know? Yeah, you can you can be authentic without oversharing and getting there you go, you know, be deep in things. But there is there, 
there's a decent population of people that say, and they misconstrue, like you mentioned, the oversharing. And I think we talked about this episode ago as far as sharing your diagnosis, right? If you do have a mental health diagnosis, do you share that on the first right. date? And there are some people that are like, oh, yeah, no, you should. There are some people like, oh, you you want to tell people, you know, you want to share your truth. You want people to know. And and like, no, if there's a difference between sharing your truth, standing in your truth and OK, being upfront with people about what you're experiencing. And then, again, laying a lot of information and baggage because all information isn't for everybody. Right. right? And like you said, you if you're laying this massive trauma or even just one traumatic experience about about what you've experienced okay the way that person may react again like you said it could be it's just like you're just putting it out there on the table they're not in that place where they're able to address it um so yeah the, it's uh yeah oversharing is typically not the best best thing especially it relates to trauma on the first date you know yeah you, man. you said something really important you talked about therapy you brought it up and another question that I typically get, and I don't know if you get this also, is for those that are either um, getting ready to engage in therapy or they're looking, you know, for a therapist and things of that nature. Another a question that is also associated with that whole process is that they ask, is there the best time or an ideal time for therapy? All right. Now, therapy is a process, right? So, you know, once you found a, a clinician or a therapist who you trust or you have rapport with um, and you, you know, you've picked the, the best treatment modality that you feel will be most appropriate or you and the therapist or the clinician have picked a, um, a modality that is going to be most appropriate for managing, you know, your circumstances that brought you into treatment. You might be thinking like time shouldn't matter, right? Some people think that, oh, you know what, time, whatever day, it doesn't matter. Well, the time and week, day of the week might be more influential than people think. All right. Like, is it a bad idea to do it on your lunch break? Uh, you know, should you have your session at the start of the week, at the end of the week, you know, on the weekend? You know, so, Jay, is there such a thing as an ideal therapy schedule? What do you think? I mean, I. You know what? This thing got me thinking. Um, I'm, I'm not going to lie. This isn't really something that I really thought about much before I read this article. Um, I think there is an ideal the same way there isn't because I started thinking about it in terms of like and I mean, I don't know if this is good or bad, but I don't mean to be insensitive. But I started thinking about it in terms of like ex my exercise habits and my study habits. Right. Um, I would much rather exercise and study in the morning. Right. One after the other. When it comes to the evening, it's like I'm tired. You know, I'm not as um, I'm a little bit more irritable. Right. Um, I don't necessarily like doing work in the evening, although I will. Mm -hmm. Right. I have for years. Um, so I'm supposing people could be the same way. Right. Um, and I just started looking at my own experiences and I was like started thinking about a lot of the work I did, you know, with um, resource children um, and then just teens right and a lot of them they don't have a choice in terms of coming to therapy in the first place and they got to come at a specific time right like after school right so a lot of these times where kids are in therapy is between like three and eight hungry tired exhausted we think about teens right um that might be why a lot of them you know are, are kind of 
you know, might be less um, cooperative in therapy, less willing to share different things, right? Because um, number one, they don't have a say in it. Two, you're bringing them at a time where they don't want to be there, right? Um, for a lot of good reasons. So um, long story short, no, I don't have a specific answer, but I, you know, I do um, understand why it's a good issue to explore, you know? Yeah. So for those same reasons, I'm actually going to say to the question, and people may not like this because, but I don't think there is. I'm going to say no. Like, I don't think Mm -hmm. there is. But then, yes, at the end of that question. So, like, generally, no. Like, if somebody asks you, is there um, an ideal time? Like, generally, like, oh, should you do it in the morning? Should you do it in the evening? I'm going to say no to that person. Um, For the reason that, like you just mentioned, it's going to be specifically for you right and it it it, the, it it falls on a lot of different factors right there's a lot of different variables that go based on it because it's based on the individual like you said like you have to think about okay what's going to work best for you right it's not a one size fits all and it's going to take some time right it's going to take trial and error for you to find out what day and time works better for you right, right. you got to find out what's going to be good for you like when I've done um, individual therapy or, or um, private practice, what something is that what I let off with, I'm saying it's beneficial for you to pick a day and time. So I'll, I'll ask my client, say, OK, what's the best day and time that's not going to be an additional stressor? Like you're already dealing with a lot of stress and other different issues because that's the reason why you're presenting for treatment. I don't want this to be an additional stressor, right? So in addition to saying, okay, my availability, it's also, okay, how, what's working better for you? Like, I don't want that person to have to be rushing to treatment, right? Rushing to make the therapy get based off their job, based off of whatever they have going on personally, like your families. Um, I don't want it to be a situation where it's like, you're just getting here. And then it's like, it's stressful. Like you, you don't need therapy to be an additional stressor. Um, you know, if you have to make all these numerous accommodations and so on and so forth, like that, that's not going to work. Um, I think there are other different things as far as like your lifestyle. And you you spoke to this a little bit as far as like, how do you operate throughout the day? Right. How do you deal with the emotional hangover that, that comes along with therapy? Because like we've told people plenty of times, we told our clients that therapy is a great thing to engage in. It absolutely is about, you know, facilitating and bring and, and enabling somebody to become the best version of themselves. At the same time, there are going to be days where you're going to leave treatment and you're going to feel like shit, right? We're going to be right. going to unpack. We're going to process. We're going to get into a lot of different things. You're going to be challenged in therapy. And there are going to be sometimes like, you're not going to leave out of there. Like, Oh, this was the greatest session. You're going to leave out like, Oh man, like shit was like, it's going to have you thinking like where in your schedule is going to be the best time for that, right? right? For you to be able to process, to kind of have like that hangover and, and like deal with the effects of therapy. So in addition to it not being an additional stressor for you, like you, I've always said, like there should be some time between you finishing your job and then also like us starting whatever our, our, our like our, our time is going to be. But it's also like you being able to like, okay, you know, be able to process before therapy, like, all right, maybe it'll kind of gather your thoughts of what you want to maybe bring into or discuss. And then afterwards, depending on how the therapy or the, the session goes, that you got some time to decompress. Like, you don't want to finish your treatment. And then it's like, all right, I got to go make dinner for the kids. 
right. might not be the best thing. So that's why I feel like it's there's no ideal time because it varies on person to person. Then that's how you find out what your the best time is going to be for you. Well, I listen, it's funny that you say that, right? Because I think that that kind of contributes to what we see a lot of times in terms of like um, people dropping out of therapy, right? Because right. what I think we don't factor in, right? Especially when we discharge people and all that is that is that people like, again, just like you said, somebody might have a therapy session scheduled at six or seven or four or whatever, right? What usually happens? You'll have somebody come in. They might come for a month, two months, right? And then what happens? They they won't show up one week, right? Whether you have a late fee or not, some people do. Then usually the next week, they usually don't show up. And then you probably won't hear from them again, right? Now, more than most likely, within that next, especially if you had a good rapport with that person, within those next two to three weeks, that person probably wanted to come back. They probably just wanted a week or two off. Maybe the first week they were legitimately tired. The second week, something else came up. And what happens by the third week? It's regular people, right? So a lot of people just, the avoidance is easier to just avoid and just not go, right? But what I'm saying is, how how much better of a chance will we probably have to keep that person if we had all the options we have now, right? Like teletherapy, right? Like you can call a person to say, listen, you know, um, I don't feel like coming in, but, you know, I'll meet with you virtually, right? Or if you were able to have the rapport with a person where you could tell them, like, listen, if you really don't want to talk this week, you can call and just check in and we could talk for five minutes and then you, you know. Um, and only, again, the only reason why I bring that up is because of what you said, right? Like life doesn't always fit into our ideal schedule, right? So you may have a really hard day at work at five and you don't really want to go. You just want to go home. <laughs> you don't want to go to therapy from right. six to seven, yeah. right? As human beings, as grown adults, we got kids, we got, you're not going to th- reality. You're not going to therapy that day. Yeah. It becomes more of a stress or more of an right? inconvenience or a chore. Right. For you to do it because you you picked that time, but you got so much other different things and shit that you have to deal with before and afterward. Right. So I think the pandemic might have changed some of that in terms of what you were talking about with this, because we're more the pandemic allow people to kind of check in once a month. Right. Check in two times a month. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Go virtual. Check in virtually. Right. Um, check in as a group virtually. All of those things. Right. Um and I think when you allow more flexibility in that way, um, even if you have to keep the standard appointment because you have to have some type of structure for the, for just just in terms of for the therapist and for everybody, um, I think you can you can still kind of work within a person's day and and how they feel, right? Um, but I think that's how a lot of that breaks down because you know, that the, the, the patients that I've had for the longest stretches, right. And that I've developed the best relationship with the, those are the reasons why kind of, you know, I didn't really have the dropout rate cause they didn't, they weren't scared of calling me and telling me the truth. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, even, even if it's a reason you don't necessarily want to accept, you got to respect the fact that they're calling you. Yeah. I think right? when, you, when you have all those variables that we just mentioned, that absolutely decreases the, you know, the premature termination therapy, right? Right. As an incident, right? It, it 
like you said, it reduces people just kind of like not showing because one, it's more flexible. Um, and two, it's being more accommodating to, okay, their, their needs, their circumstances and situations. And I like the aspect of picking a day or a time that you're more productive, right? right. I like that. Like you said, if you know you're tired in the evening, like, yeah, that's it's not going to work. It's going to be more of an inconvenience. But if like, all right, you're a morning person or maybe in the evening you do your best thinking. Because you've gotten work out the you've gotten work out the way, or maybe you you, you work late, or depending on your schedule. Like if you're more productive, I think using that time, that's that's might be a, that's an ultimate time for you to engage in treatment because you're gonna be like at your best, you know what I mean, as far as like mentally. So it's a lot of different factors, but um yeah, you it's best for you to find out the best time of day or day of the week that's gonna be best for you and flexible in regarding your schedule so it doesn't become an additional chore responsibility because you people already have enough of that therapy doesn't need to be another one like you're there supposed to be learning how to manage those stress not to add another one onto the board yeah no yeah man uh other than that jay anything else before we get out of here nothing much bro of course we want to thank everybody who takes the time to listen um thank everybody who you know um Offers the comments, you know, sends us videos, sends us, you know, articles. We appreciate it. Everybody hanging with us. Um, humble by the support. Um, thank you for anybody who supports shopmentalhealthclothing.com. And I want you to shout out, you know, our new upcoming Cami. What is it? Cami's Clothing Shop? Cam, Cami's Closet. Cami's, Cami's Closet, Closet Community Clothing Project. Dot. Oh, that's right. We're going to be that's shouting. Right. Yeah, so that's We're helping, helping the community, you know, because it's all about a sense of pride, giving people flexibility, giving people choice as they're, you know, either dealing with different financial constraints or while they're in these different life transitional periods. Um, so whatever we can do to help and support, that's what we're going to do. All right. Um, well, excellent. Given- excellent. My brother, I'm, I'm proud of y'all. You know, we're going to promote that for the next couple of weeks. Um, Well, you know, continuously, but obviously we're going to keep that at the forefront. Absolutely. Because, um, you know, y'all are debuting that, debuting that. So, you know, I'm proud of you, man, and definitely going to support. So thank you, sir. All right, Jay. Um, Until next time. All right, my good brother. Be safe out in these streets. Wishing you good mental health, self-care, and uh, the good, good luck to your boys this weekend, man. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We appreciate it. D-Boy, stand up, man. We're going to get it. (laughs) There you go. Later, bro. All right, bro.